Welcome to the PANS Online Hui Series in partnership with Auckland Live and supported by Creative New Zealand and The Big Idea. These regular online gatherings for the arts, cultural and creative communities in Aotearoa are a chance to gather remotely, connect and get up to date. These sessions were recorded live on the dates listed in the episode description. Tēnā koutou katoa, atamarie, no mai haramai, and welcome to this morning's online hui facilitated by PANS and Auckland Live. It's wonderful to have you all here today in our first panel at Alert Level 2. Ko Delina wihi peihana tōku ingoa, I'm Delina, and I'm delighted to be facilitating today's conversation. And I'll start off the session today with a kawakia, me inoi tātou. Tu taua mai i runga, tu taua mai i raro. Tu taua mai roto, tu taua mai iwaho. Kia tau ai te mauri tu, te mauri ora ki te katoa, haumie huie, taakie. Kia ora anō and welcome. Thank you to everyone who's joining us here on Facebook Live and YouTube. And for many of you who may be taking the time at Alert Level 2 to be back in your offices or back in the rehearsal room or all your kids at school, as for me this morning, I'm joining you from the inside of my house as I don't need to be in the temporary office as my kids have gone back to school today. So it's wonderful to be joining you all here from a sunny Mount Eden in Tamaki Makoto. Today, we're going to be joined by leaders in our wider arts community to have a conversation about how they've navigated cancellations, reinventions and restrictions to keep opportunities rolling for our writers, our comedians and our beloved National Ballet Company. So I'm really excited to be talking with Lester McGrath, the Executive Director of the Royal New Zealand Ballet, Anne O'Brien, Festival Director of Waituhi or Tamaki, Auckland Writers Festival, and Lauren Whitney, who is the Chair of the New Zealand Comedy Trust and the Director of the New Zealand International Comedy Festival. Please, we really love it when we can have a conversation with all of you out there. So if there is anybody who would like to join in the conversation with a thought or a question, please do type it into the comments. And we've got our team of Louise, Heather and Helena from Pans and Auckland Live collecting all those questions for us this morning. So without any further ado, I'd like to introduce our first panellist for this morning, Lester McGrath. Lester is one of New Zealand's most experienced performing arts managers having worked in New Zealand, Australia, and the UK and USA over a career that spans 30 years. From 2007 to 2018, he was the general manager and then chief executive of Auckland Theatre Company. During this time, uh, when he was there, he spearheaded the campaign to build the wonderful ASB Waterfront Theatre, which we're now all enjoying, but not right now. He has presented theatre, dance concerts and commercial entertainment in venues across Australasia, the UK and Australia, and has worked across a plethora of international artists and roles that he held at the edge before it was Auckland Live and producing for International Concert Attractions Limited, based in Melbourne. Lester joined the Royal New Zealand Ballet in 2018 as the Executive Director. Welcome, Lester. Kia ora tato. Uh, thank you for that uh, very generous introduction, Delina. Uh, look, it's great to connect with everybody this morning, uh, and I imagine uh, a lot of people are back uh, thinking about the world as we're now into level two, but I thought I would uh, just talk through the last few weeks of the ballet 
uh, and share with some of you some of the things that we've been going through and how we've been uh, approaching the COVID pandemic and uh, look forward to answering any questions that, that people have got. At the end of February, we were just coming off our 14 centre regional tour of Tutu's on tour. Uh, we noticed a bit of a slowdown in the last week, um, but we were very, very fortunate to have finished that tour before the before the, the pandemic really hit uh, in terms of going into closures and the border being closed here in New Zealand. Um, we had a couple of dancers that were going away on on taking a break for a couple of weeks. Some of them were travelling overseas, so we had quite a rush to make sure that we got every all as many of the dancers as possible all back into Aotearoa before the before the borders closed. And fortunately, we were successful uh, in that. So level four uh, came in with a bang, uh, and like the rest of the country and the sector, it was a hell of a shock for everybody. Um, the, and, and in terms of thinking about how we, we adjusted, we, we took action very quickly. Uh, and I'm a great believer, in, uh, and you'll, you'll probably see this as a bit of a theme coming through, and as I reflect on things I've learned out of this experience, um, I'm a great believer that when you take a hit, it's really not how hard you fall. And I know a lot of people have really taken a really hard fall over this time, but it's how quickly you get up. And that is really one of the driving things that were motivating us at the company to say, okay, this has happened, but we really need to pivot, move. Although we're working in a very uncertain environment, think how we might be able to, to you know, with agility and speed, make changes to what we were doing. So the first thing we did was we set up uh, in level four, uh, obviously went with technology like everybody else. And uh, we were doing class at home for all the dancers. We had uh, over 30 dancers doing Zoom classes every morning at home to maintain their physical well-being technique and uh, strength, which are the core things of speak to you, who you are, if you are a dancer, it's being able to maintain that. There is a limit, obviously, to what you can do when you're doing a class on the kitchen bench or in the living room, but uh, but it was that connection during Level 4 to maintain that spirit of the dancers, the core of the ballet company, to keep that together. We're very clear with everybody that works with the company and that's associated with us that our number one priority is to save jobs, to save jobs and get through this so that whilst we go into hibernation, we can come out of it at the other end. Uh, and uh, and uh, be stronger as a result of this experience. Um, that being able to communicate that message clearly across the company uh, was important to us, uh, and it, it gave all the teams uh, comfort to think that, that that was the priority, particularly when, when people were hearing about other colleagues either being laid off here in Aotearoa or overseas, uh, that, that, that they knew that we, we hit their back. The, um, so during Level 4, the other thing that we did very quickly is that we thought, well, how do we stay in touch and communicate with all our existing audiences, stakeholders, friends and family and uh, people who love dance? Um, dance in Aotearoa is very popular. It is the second highest after-school activity in the country. It is after soccer and before rugby. So we know that people uh, care about dance. 
And in fact, I'm, if you look at what happens on TikTok or some of the other mediums that comes through dance and how people connect with dance is, is, is something that we're seeing all around us. And it's been, uh, it's been a great joy to see how people in lockdown have, have tended to celebrate you know, where they can with dance and people who see who, people who have picked it up. So we went, uh, we looked at our back catalogue. We were fortunate enough to have a back catalogue of work uh, that had generally been recorded on at dress rehearsal performances here in the Opera House in Wellington before we took it on tour. Uh, so we came up with the Live in Your Living Room series. Um, and so every weekend during Level 4, with the exception of the first weekend and going to Level 3, and it's still continuing, we are doing a broadcast on Friday night at 7.30, Saturday afternoon and then Sunday morning of a, of a previous ballet production. We kicked off with Hansel and Gretel, uh, which is a big tour that we did last year. But we've also done a special broadcast for Anzac Day uh, when we did the Salute tribute in 2015 and a range of work that the company has done over that time. The response, I have to say, has been, for us, has been completely overwhelming. Um, we have, one of the things that we did with the broadcast is that we also had dancers uh, and artistic staff or creative people involved in it being available to answer questions and talk to people uh, while we were while we were doing the broadcasts. We've heard stories of uh, families um, sitting down to, to watch it, to keep the ballet in their lives and in their home. Uh, we've, we've had stories of people, uh, bubbles, you know, all getting together for a virtual date at the ballet. Uh, and uh, the response has been terrific. We've had close to 400,000 views in that time. And if you look at the scale of that, it's close to, it's close to 5 million minutes of broadcast time. I mean, they're pretty overwhelming statistics. But what it does tell us is that in times of crisis or where we're in something in a situation like this, people want to connect with things that they know, that they care about, and they reflect, that, they, that, that brings back memories or that resonates with them. And again, when I think about the power of dance in our art form, uh, and I've learned a lot, learning a lot, continue to learn a lot about dance since I've been with the ballet company, it does speak to people in a way that is quite quite fundamental. So that gives us great heart um, in this time. On a more mundane level, in terms of how we've been uh, working and the company's been operating, uh, every all the administration, production, marketing uh, teams were working from home. Uh, we've got a we've got a costume uh, team, costume shop, and a and a workshop. Uh, at the ballet, it's a little bit hard to, to work from home if you don't have the industrial sewing machine or overlocker. But that said, we, we were able to, people were made good use of the time in terms of thinking about the projects and working ahead. The, the shock of, 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 of the, the change that was required to move has impacted how we work and communicate as a company. Um, we, uh, we were very responsive to think what is going to work best for us in terms of uh, maintaining contact across such a large group of people, which is what the ballet has. So we changed some of our meeting structures and communication structures in terms of when we have company meetings and all of those, all of those things. So we could stay connected uh, across the organisation. We're particularly worried, you know, the health and wellbeing of our staff is important to us. 
So we put quite a lot of effort into talking to people that might be living alone, that live that live by themselves in this period, that are that uh, may be more vulnerable than, than other members of the team. Um, some of our more extroverted staff, uh, while the introverts were happy to stay at home and uh, and um, work from home, some of our more extroverted staff found it, you know, a bit, bit more of a challenge. So we, we, I think we, it was an opportunity for us to dig deep and really connect with the with the people that that work with the company. One of the other things that we did is that our other priorities were to stay very closely in touch with all of our stakeholders uh, and, 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 and in, in its broadest sense. So that included obviously funders, um, donors, um, audiences, people, ticket buyers, uh, and the wider ballet and dance community. That was an important priority of ours. We realised that uh, pretty early on that the tour that we had planned for May, June would not go ahead. Uh, so we postponed that. We postponed that till August, September time. Cancelled the tour that we were doing in August and September time, and we're looking forward to the future beyond that. Some people think it's fairly optimistic, and we did do run a, an optimistic scenario when we're thinking about how do we respond to this. Um, one of the things that we did, uh, we looked at, and uh, one of the things that we found is how do we cope with such an uncertain environment when so much is involved in putting on a, on a production? So the process that we went through in Levels 3 and 4 was actually to model four different scenarios, two optimistic scenarios, one moderate scenario, and one pretty catastrophic scenario for the company going through to the end of 2021. And then from that, we were able to say, okay, what are the various levers that we can pull and 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 call on to, to navigate our way through this? Um, it was a big exercise, but it was an important exercise for us to also think about what is important and what are our priorities to, to, to honour our commitments to our stakeholders and our, our communities going forward. So I guess where we've landed in all of this is that if we get to level one by the... 3rd of July, we will look to go forward with our production in August, September. Now, that is an optimistic scenario, and we recognise that, but we seem to be tracking in an optimistic way. And perhaps it's possibly more optimistic now than it was four weeks ago, uh, six weeks ago. But that we also recognise that that may also change. So, one of the, so the, the way we're approaching it now that everybody is pretty much back for, for level two, uh, the dancers are all in the studio and we can do more work, is saying, okay, what do we need to put in place so that we do have a production that is tour ready? Um, we do recognise that potentially we are the, the canary going into the mine by being first out. It will be the first big national tour that happens. So what do we need to put in place to, to mitigate some of that risk? So we're, we're talking to all the venues about how do we give our audiences confidence about coming back into a theatre. Um, and those discussions are, are, are pretty much kicking off, off this week. And it will look really at what audience expectations are around, uh, you know, queuing, meeting in public places, cleanliness, how we'll do contact chasing, because it's going to be important for us. And it gets back to that idea, I was that theme I 
put out there first. It's not how hard you fall. It's how quickly you get up. How do we give confidence to people that are coming back to to gather and meet in public places again? And then the third bit is to do some testing with the audience. So we are we are underway with that uh, this week as well, just to check the appetite um, for that, because it's changing very quickly. And again, I think we just need to think about where as a company thing, we just need to be constantly trying to understand what changes are coming our way. At the end of April, uh, there was a, a, a survey that was done that said 64% of those surveyed said that they would not go to the cinema before the end of the year. And I was thinking, well, that's, you know, that was around the Anzac Day. But even then, a lot has changed in that time. I, as a you know, bit of audience research, went off to the cinema yesterday. Uh, first day of Sunday in the cinema. And it was heartening to see that actually the cinemas were, were doing, you know, they were down in numbers. And I had a good chat to the person on the on the on the box office there as I want to do when I go to these places to find out what I can. And uh, but you know they were they people were coming back to the cinema. So I think, well, you know, if the cinemas are out there, I think that bodes well for us, you know, potentially uh, for the return of performance in level one. Uh, towards the end of October, end of August, going into September. I mean, I don't, I do want to acknowledge how hard some people have been hit by all of this, uh, and and it is it is devastating to see people lose jobs and companies struggle. I am worried about venues, particularly venues that are uh, that aren't council run and managed they've they've got a terrible time some of them uh, and they're some of the venues that that we use uh, certainly that's a that's a concern to me and we think the company how can we help and we're talking to people about that but the the opportunity that we've had to be able to reach out to other people and and see how we can assist or how we can uh, you know advocate or be collegial um, has been important to us through this process. Um, look, that's probably enough from me. Uh, I've covered a covered a fair bit of ground there, um, but yes, we're feeling positive, and I'm encouraged. And I think the signs that we've seen as we're coming out of this are positive. Thank you very much. Kilda, thank you, Lester. Thank you. That was really great to hear what your organisation's been up to. Um, particularly, I think, yeah, it's very interesting to be sitting within the uncertainty, but to actually be testing the mood of the people out there. You know, certainly if, you've got, if, you're, if you go outside and you, there, there are people in the cafes, there are people at the malls, there are people going to the cinema. So we may be, re be able to return with some confidence to live performance perhaps sooner than we think. But there's so many things to work through. And I love to hear that you've taken the time within the RNZB to look at many different scenarios right out to the end of potentially not performing till the end of 2021. I think it's wonderful that as a, with your experience and the experience of your team and your organisation is able to do that so you can just press play. And certainly I know that there'll be many perhaps independent practitioners or smaller organisations who are very grateful. Already I know that you've shared some information about health and safety and working in the studio with other dance companies. And I think it's um, a wonderful opportunity that we all have to share our knowledge across the sector at this time. So thank you, Nesta.
Um, moving on to another company who has been taking advantage of being able to share their work in an online space, made a pivot towards an, um, an online uh, performance aspect or in terms of the Writers Festival and what they've been up to. I'm very excited to welcome Anne O'Brien to join us this morning. As festival director, Anne is responsible for artistic programming and organisational leadership of the internationally acclaimed Auckland Writers' Festival, which is New Zealand's largest showcase of books and writers with an annual 200-plus event programme, attracting attendance of more than 83,000. Her previous roles include Writers' Week Manager for the New Zealand Festival, journalist and producer at Radio New Zealand, and Executive Director of Women in Film and Television. Anne is currently Deputy Chair of the Coalition for Books, a trustee of the literary-focused Matatuhi Foundation, and Board Chair of Social Enterprise Food Charity Everybody Eats. Now, last week, or perhaps the week before, would have been the festival's 20th event, Instead, the festival team are now working through 2020 cancellation issues, presenting a one-off 13-part digital series every Sunday, continuing with print plans for a book of New Zealand writing to be distributed to students who were due to attend the 2020 festival, and they've been modelling scenarios for 2021. So pretty busy, Anne. Welcome. Kia ora, Delina, and thank you. Yeah, a little bit busy, but I just want to take a moment. It's lovely to be part of this uh, hui and with my colleagues. And also, I just want to really acknowledge the work that you've been doing on this hui, actually. Both Pans and Delina, you've been doing a beautiful job of facilitating. And I know you're in a uh, period of change, too, so I just want to really uh, acknowledge that. Um, yeah, in fact, I'm sitting in my home office. My partner's on the dining room table, and I'm in the study. I got the, the long store. Uh, and uh, behind me, you'll see a bunch of flowers. And that bunch of flowers was a gift last week to mark what would have been the week of the 20th festival. So normally on this day, I would be bleary-eyed in the hotel lobby uh, saying, farewelling a lot of international and New Zealand writers and with the team sort of preparing to tidy up. And of course, what happened was we launched our program on March the 9th and the 11th, and then we cancelled our program six day, our cancel our delivery six days later. So it's been a really um, complicated time. I mean, I think I first want to acknowledge my team who, you know, we're a small team of six. And and as those of you who work in festivals will know, a lot of the work you do is uh, kind of tedious to the outside world. There's a lot of contracting and sending emails and sitting at desks and and the delivery is really to get into those halls with all those people and those artists and celebrate that art form together. And for the team, we've lost that moment. So we've had a year's worth of work to craft everything together. And now we, we're the day after looking to the future. And that moment is the Ghost, the Ghost Festival, the 20th Ghost Festival. So that's, um, that's a really complicated thing to navigate. The festival is very much, I mean, the festival was founded by New Zealand writers and its commitment was to find audiences for New Zealand writers and their work. So that is the kaupapa absolutely of everything that we do, This the literary sector here. And I think literature is, you know, as in every slightly different art form in this landscape because the experience of the art form and the the production, the, the initial production of the art form are both actually solitary activities a writer can continue to write through a COVID-19 crisis, physically at least, and a reader can continue to read, actually. 
But what literature requires to really, in particular New Zealand literature, to really give it a platform is a whole ecosystem of, of um, people and organisations that, that lift it up and find its audience and give it its energy. And so for us, we've kind of got two layers that we've had to think about. One is our place in the ecosystem and shoring that up. And one is our relationship to the ecosystem and what we can do to, to carry it forward. So, I mean, on the absolutely sort of fundamental levels, we've spent the last eight weeks unpicking a festival. We have six days a year to leverage all the revenue we need to, to deliver this uh, event and to run this organisation. So when you take those six days away, every single funding partnership, every single presentation and production uh, partnership is affected. And so is our bottom line. So I guess one of the first and obvious losses is money. And we've spent the last eight weeks speaking to all of our um, stakeholders, our partners, uh, people like Auckland Live, who've been incredibly generous, uh, our patrons, our sponsors, and one by one by one negotiating with them uh, what our final position will be to try and minimise the loss to shore us up for the future. And we're just coming to the end of that. And I have to say, people have been incredibly generous and supportive of us, and that has made a huge difference to um, to how we can position ourselves going forward. So that's kind of been the first job. The second job was to say to ourselves, how can we deliver something out of 12 months of work? Does this have to be just absolutely nothing? And so we took quite a lot of time to think about uh, what we might do and whether the digital space was the right space. We could rescue, so every year we have about 7,000 students attend our schools program and we generally, we print a book with pieces of work from four New Zealand writers who we commission and we give away a free copy to every attending student. So that work had already been commissioned from those writers, Carlo Miller and Damon Wilkins, Gareth Ward, uh, Rose Liu. So we've continued to print, we found some support funding from one of our sponsors and we are going to print that book. In fact, we're in the process of it. Uh, we're going to create a schools resource to go out to schools and with a little video resource. So that was a piece of work that the team could commit to and we could still champion our New Zealand writing. The second thing um, was we have a program. It showcases over 200 books. I mean, there's about 170 New Zealand writers in that program, about 42 internationals. How can we focus some uh, attention on those books? and get people to read them, which is what we're about. We want people to get excited and to go and read that work. So A, we've got a program and we've been saying to everyone, same message applies. If you want a copy of it, it's your reading list for the year, just we'll send you one. We've got quite a lot of them and boxes in the office. Um, but the second is, can we do something digitally? And in thinking about that, we also wanted, we, we're really clear that the magic of our place in the ecosystem is the live experience. And I've talked a lot about this with colleagues over the last eight weeks, that there are uh, digital art forms. I was listening to an artistic director from the Guthrie Theatre on the weekend who's saying that's got a name and it's called film and television. And actually, we are not a digital experience. The magic of what happens in those halls, writers connecting with each other, writers um, you know, connecting with their audience, books being sold, that's about being live. And we don't... We, that is our future. We still believe in that and we're committed to that. But can digital help us? So we crafted a series that said, let's put the book front and centre 
via the writer. It's, we've sort of created like a little sh- chat show. It goes out live every Sunday at 9 a.m. Uh, and then it's obviously online to view. It has three writers in it, and at least one of those every week will be a New Zealander, and in some cases two. So our commitment to New Zealand writers stays firmly at the centre. Uh, and we have links to booksellers, Paula Morris is chairing, and it's just a chance to say, look, this is a book we thought you should really read. This is a book that we really want to champion. And um, and here, we'll give you this. So that's a 13-week free-to-view series. What it's also done is really engaged with all of our stakeholders who, you know, and particularly our patrons and our audience, who have missed out on the opportunity for this event that they just love in the year to say, okay, here's a little something of that work and an experience for you. So that's enabled us both as a team but within this sort of system to actually keep keep things front and centre. And then obviously the next thing is to start to think about what does the future look like, as Lester said, and we've done lots of, you know, COVID scenarios. As a live festival, obviously we can't do much with our audience size until level one. Um, as a live festival, one of our huge financial underpinnings is the international program because it's a revenue raiser for sponsors and in terms of ticket prices and so forth. And when we look out, we don't see at the moment, I mean, you know, things may change. I'm going to be optimistic. I'm going to be less optimistic. But we think that actually our borders, international borders could remain closed for at least the next 12 to 18 months in any significant way. And that will change our ability in 2021 to deliver the footprint of the festival that we've grown over the last 20 years. Um, 2022, we sort of have the target for trying to get back somewhere near that. But in 2021, indications are that there may well be a Tasman bubble. It may extend to the Pacific. I mean, if we're really lucky, there may be some parts of Asia there as well. So in our initial thinking, and things are changing all the time, we're we're starting to think about what a trans-Tasman focus looks like and a real celebration of New Zealand work alongside Australian counterparts um, and how we kind of can build that platform. So that's sort of where where we're looking in that respect. Um, And then I think the other thing I just want to briefly touch on is the ecosystem. So... Before COVID, actually, the book industry recognised that actually there are all those parts along the way. You have a writer creating work. Then you have uh, a publisher who needs to pick that book up and create it as an object. Then you have a distribution network that needs to get it to a bookseller. And then you need to get it in front of the eyes of an audience so that they select it. And for New Zealand work, that's actually really hard any time because you're competing with the whole of the international framework. In COVID, it's really difficult. I mean, most books are distributed in this country out of Australia. So most publishers cannot get their books to booksellers in this period of time, or they can, but it's going to take a long time because air freight is disrupted and sea freight takes a long time. So that's a real issue for publishers and booksellers at the moment. And, of course, in Level 4, booksellers weren't seen as an essential service, so they couldn't even fulfil orders. We saw overseas that, in fact, in Australia, book orders, book sales went up in Australia under their sort of highest level because everyone started ordering online. But here that wasn't possible to do. And booksellers have been competing for years with Amazon and Book Depository, so they have a lot of threats. So uh, last year, a whole lot of the sector got together, the booksellers, the Publishers Association, the Society of Authors, festivals and others, and we formed a group called the Coalition for Books. And it said 
each of us has different places in the ecosystem and different interests, but there are many places where those uh, interests align. And there are many places where collectively we can fill gaps and provide a platform and help each other so that the whole system, the whole ecosystem uh, lifts up. And so that this is a moment for the coalition to really sort of step forward and shine, which has been doing beautifully. Jill Warnsley's managing it. Uh, and actually, you know, we've got a campaign about buying local, which is already out there. We're, we're uh, looking to fund a digital hub so that we can collate all that information. And I think what, um, I mean, one of the things, and it's a message that's run throughout these who's and, and today too, is that together, that is how we will find a pathway forward as uh, with our artists, with the other people and organisations who support those artists, together, working together to identify those opportunities will take us forward. And so we're also putting lots of energy into supporting the coalition and the foundation has a grants round, so that gives grants through to, to for new literary uh, initiatives and there's a funding round finishing on the 31st of May. So trying to shore up ourselves as an organisation, support our artists. Um, you know, we paid, offered to pay all our artists who were contracted for this festival and then work with the rest of the ecosystem to, um, to carry us forward. So that's, that's where we're headed. Kia ora, thank you, Anne. Thank you very much for your kind wishes to me at the start of your corridor this morning. Um, I think what you're saying about the coalition, I've seen this with other art forms as well, that people actually taking this opportunity in this, in this time with COVID to connect over Zoom and to start to think about ways in which we can work more collectively for the benefit of others, how we can collaborate to uplift um, all of our artists and organisations within the sector. So it's really fascinating to listen to you talk about the ecosystem, particularly also you've shared a lot of challenges that I didn't know about for the book industry as well. So thank you for sharing that this morning. And one other thing I wanted to touch on is the minimizing loss. Yeah, for many of our organizations, that's been a key and uh, important thing that everyone's been working on, their budgeting, their cash flows, their forecasts. And so for you all to have been doing that at the same time as finding ways to move forward and new ways to um, uplift and share the work of artists, such as your online series is fantastic. Moving on now to our final panellists for this morning, who also had a festival, sadly, which needed to be cancelled. Uh, we have got the lovely Lauren Whitney. Now, Lauren has been at the New Zealand Comedy Trust for over 10 years. First, she was the sponsorship and marketing manager, the associate director, and she is now the general manager. Prior to the trust, she also worked with local and international musicians as the publicity and promotions manager at EMI Music and the international label manager with Warner Music. She started her career in radio broadcasting, doing the drive show at Channel Z and launching Kiwi FM. In all these roles, she has loved being able to champion local artists and help them showcase their stories through their art forms to audiences. Within her role at the Comedy Trust, Lauren is responsible for delivering the New Zealand International Comedy Festival annually and fostering the growth of comedy as a performing art in Aotearoa. Welcome, Lauren. Kia ora, morena everybody. Um, ko Lauren Takuengwa, um, and thank you very much for having me. Um, it's been amazing what Pans and Auckland Live have done with these hui. It's been great watching them over the last six or so weeks um, of this very interesting and uh, unprecedented time. 
Um, I am currently sitting in a sunny Tamaki Makaurau on the North Shore in a room that is uh, my home office, which I have stolen from my young nine-month-old baby what's his nursery. So he's in with us at the moment. Um, it has been a crazy time and um, it feels pretty nice to be at level two, although even being an extrovert, I'm not sure if I really want to leave my bubble. I'm quite happy in my little world. Um, it is, I've had a journey very similar to Anne, actually. We were a sort of similar time out from the festivals. We spent our whole year getting there and within a week, we went from doing risk assessments and risk management strategies of how we we're going to keep everyone safe during the festival to various budgets of uh, a smaller 500 capacity uh, theatre festival, then to a Melbourne cancelling into a uh, local festival and the international borders closing and going, oh God, and then um, and, and doing worst case sort of budget scenarios and talking to a GP and having that moment where you just went, oh, oh, okay, no, this is that bad we can't keep everybody safe and so what was incredibly a, a very difficult and devastating decision it sort of became an easy decision there wasn't a decision that we could make and we could take that responsibility for so it was really then as you say about sort of minimizing the um devastation and the hurt financially emotionally um to everybody um i think we all work um in this industry because we're passionate about it. We love what we do. We love the genres that we look after. We love the artists. We love the venue staff and the techs and there are whanau, you know, and um, so it, it it was very devastating, I guess, and, and I felt, feel like we've all probably been holding a lot of weight on our shoulders over this time, feeling responsible um, not only for our own families and um, homes and budgets and all of that sort of stuff, but but really our wider whanau and, and how we're going to look after them um, in the short term, but um, also very much in the long term, which is so, I guess, unknown at this time. But I, like Lester, um, am, am optimistic. I'm a glass half full kind of a person. Um, and what's got me through it is looking for the opportunities uh, and, and looking for the opportunities for the comedy um, industry. Um, I guess giving the comedy industry a voice over this time is really, really important. Um, sometimes we, we sort of sit, uh, sit just to the side. So it's um, really important that I think, um, yeah, I guess we all sort of understand what it means for the comedy industry and, and, and how we sort of fit into that ecosystem and, um, and sort of talked a lot about that ecosystem. And, and it is, you know, the impact of uh, these festivals and obviously the ballet as well, um, the comedy festival has about 200 performers in it. Uh, we have 140 different show seasons, uh, about 750 performances, uh, about 26 different venue spaces over three and a half weeks. So last year, 90,000 people attended the festival. And that is huge in terms of the amount of people that you're reaching, but also that are working on it, that have written new shows, that have created work, that they're now sitting going, what are we going to do with it? People that have invested their own money. Um, we're an umbrella curated festival. So people, artists invest their own money in putting on those shows and we provide um, a platform for them to do that. Um, so there's a huge kind of financial loss and we feel very um, responsible for helping people where we can for that. 
Um, we are like Leicester, very concerned about the venues. Um, venues um, for the festival, uh, Comedy Fest uh, audiences tend to be big drinkers, which is very good for, for, for hospitality budgets um, for venues. And so, um, you know, for a number of venues that we work with, there are about a quarter of their um, hospitality budget within a month of festival. So that kind of provides a bit of a buffer and a cushion in harder times um, and, and can help them sort of survive throughout the year. So, you know, when you take us out, but then you take everybody else out, obviously, um, there's a real challenge. And I think because it's so unknown, um, when things are sort of starting to happen and when those capacities will increase from 100, um, it, it's hard for everybody to kind of go, okay, well, what's my plan? You know, I can make this plan, but then can I see it through? Um, and I think Lester gave fantastic advice and it's stuff that we're working on at the moment around having plans, having multiple plans um, and setting them up and then having drop dead dates. So at what point do we need to make this plan or kick it into action? And at what point do we need to give up on this plan? Or how can we push this plan a month or two months or three or whatever that might be? Um, so that's, um, and, and, and that from a cash flow point of view as well, um, is, you know, all of these plans cost money, right? So you have to work out when you can start spending again, um, if it's from things like, you know, the production side of things, to your staffing, to marketing, to all of those things. So, so that's what we're working on at the moment. We've spent the last um, time in lockdown uh, certainly unravelling a festival, and I tell you what, that is not fun. Um, it's not so bad when you're putting money into people's bank accounts, but when you're, like, um, you know, going through ticket charges and all that sort of fun stuff, it's... Um, it's a hard, it's a hard yakker, and it's been really tough on our team who really care and really feel it individually for all the artists, and they've done an incredible job. And um, Lisa talked about giving sort of confidence to your team, and and we've managed to retain our team, which has been awesome, and that's been a really big concern for me is uh, looking after our staff and making sure that you know they've got enough options and they're, they're looked after and they feel as secure as possible at the moment. Um, also, uh, you know, we've got our team, but there's all the artists, um, and we feel as the trust, we work with them all year round to develop the comedy industry as a whole. So um, working with our artists is really, really important. Seeing what they can do, what they can salvage, where they can get financial support from. Um, our artists don't necessi aren't necessarily as sort of, you know, business set up as a business so or as an organisation. So they're very much individuals and they don't necessarily know what they can apply for and what they can't and, and all the kind of technical tech stuff. So it's, um, it's, it's good to be able to offer support there. Um, for our audiences, we've had lovely support um, and we've sort of been able to offer them um, some digital content um, and sort of work as a curator for, for laughs and lockdown. But as Anne said, it's, um, we are very much a live festival and what we do is about bringing people together and laughing collectively and being in a room and, and having those moments of connection where you maybe think you don't have that much in common with people but you're all laughing at the same moment and you're, you're there and it's, you know, it's all happening. So for us, um, we, you know, I've been at the Trust the last 10 years, it was my 11th festival and my whole year is get up to this. All my physically, my whole year is get uh, get up to this. I have many family members who's, who don't see me at birthdays around this time because I'm at shows and running a festival. But um, you know, my adrenaline is all geared for this moment. So it's even physically kind of learning how to 
how to be at this time and work out how to kind of deal with it. So that feels quite strange. Um, I'm used to, you know, um, this amazing time where I see everybody and have a party for a month and we all hug and it's all wonderful and, you you know, that gets you through the next year of uh, emails and contracts and uh, all of the budgets and forecasting and all that fun stuff. Um, and so I'm, I'm gutted that I'm not seeing so many of my friends and, um, and so that's, that's been really challenging. Um, I think it's personally it's been quite challenging um, to you know, feel motivated at the same rate every day. Uh, and I think that's a challenge for everybody. You know, some days you're just like, oh, man. And other days you're like, woohoo, I'm on it. I'm, I'm getting all these things done. And I think having being kind to yourself and, and going, okay, today is I'm just going to do something kind of like, you know, boring and dull, but I'll get the accounts out the way and I've done it and it's right or it's wrong, and, you know. And then there's other days where you can – you know, look to the stars and be creative and innovative and, and um, inspiring and, and all of those things. Some days you don't feel like being super inspiring. And um, and I guess that's hard when you're in a um, management sort of role in, in an organisation is that everyone sort of needs you to be inspiring and confident and and all the time. And so so that's – and it can be a little bit lonely, but I'm, I'm very lucky now. I've got a really awesome team who ring me out and text me and check that I'm good and um, and a board that are really supportive and ring in and see how I am and stuff like that, which is really nice because sometimes when you're looking after everybody else, you sort of put yourself on the back burner, and so it's really important that um, – that you do that and then and I've had, been very lucky to have people checking in and a little si- silver lining for me is that my um I had a, I've got a little nine-month-old son who's pretty amazing and so I've got to see him crawl for the first time and climb for the first time on the couch and uh chase him and all that sort of stuff and as I was saying to um some of the panelists um behind the scenes before is that uh he started calling me mama last night, which was, you know, very direct, which was really, really cool. But he did it all through the night, which was not quite so cool. So um, what's been really nice at this time, I think, is the collaboration. And as, you know, Lester and Anne have been talking about, and Delina, it's, it's so critical. It is so critical. We're all running all the time, putting on events. Um, and so busy and you know and I was saying to Anne the other day it's like we don't even really talk to each other because we're so busy at the same time we just it's it's we just sort of got to get on with our own stuff but this has allowed us to kind of stop and go oh wow okay Anne has the same challenges as we do you know it might be through a through a literature lens and versus comedy but actually it's this, a lot of the same stuff in in January we actually put together this precinct wellbeing group with um people from Auckland Live in the basement and Q Theatre and Borney um and it's and and Teresa from um the trust has done some wonderful work with the music industry and still does um and set that up and what was wonderful about it was that we all um, talked about how we all carry the weight of of our organisations on our shoulders, and actually we're all sitting around the table realizing we're actually all doing similar stuff, and we actually do have people that understand us and can support us and supply resources and share and experience and mentor all that sort of stuff. So I think um, if we look around and we collaborate, we've actually got so many um, people that can actually help and support us, which at this time is really critical. And I think. We maybe feel like we're just out of that real, like, ooh, you know, health scare thing, and, and it's still going on. But but it's I think it's it is a long game, um, and so it's sort of looking at uh, at how we how we keep that strength and resilience and motivation up over that time. Um, one of the things that was 
wonderful about, um, I guess, that, that precinct group was that when at we cancelled the festival, we were really obviously very concerned about the immediate um, well-being effects on on everyone around us. Um, and within actually that afternoon, we had um, Scott from the Classic and Richard from Notorious and then Comedy Guild um, come into the office, and we all sat and chat about chatted about how we could actually support the industry, what we were scared about, and what our major concerns were. And so we were talking about that sort of after sending out the press release that the festival was cancelled. That was kind of the first thing we did. And one thing that was really great about that and has been great the whole time is finding that purpose and that sense of purpose really does motivate you and give you a, a reason to kind of carry on. So I found that really helpful. But one of the things that came out of that was around um, concern around mental health and well-being, obviously financial well-being as well. But we thought we really need a professional free service that is available 24-7 and that, you know, isn't going to um, mean that everybody goes and, and, and dumps in one place. But um, so Teresa, who was on the Board of Music Helps, went and talked to them straight away and said, what you guys are doing is really great. It's already set up. It's got um, counsellors who uh, have worked within the arts and the music industry, so they understand the kinds of challenges that we face. Um, and it's all set up, ready to go. And so Auckland Live and Auckland Theatre Company and the Trust, Comedy Trust, all put some money in so that instantly within that first weekend of lockdown it was available to anyone in the arts industry and I and it still is so I encourage anyone that needs a little bit of support um, to go to Music Helps. Um, I think we can probably put up the link at some point um, or it's 0508 Music Helps and it is a wellbeing service that is free of charge and um, please please utilise their skills and um, their expertise. It is open to everybody, operators, venue staff, um, organisations, arts practitioners, artists. So please, it's not just for, for the artists. Um, and I guess sort of thinking about um, where we go to next, like Anne, we are, are looking very carefully at um, whether um, what, what, a 21 is going to look like and we're looking obviously at May that's our time to shine in the comedy industry um, and so we're looking at whether it's going to be a local festival um, or whether there'll be a trans-Tasman bubble. Um, I'm actually really excited as if, if we have to have a local festival I'm really excited in a, way, a lot of ways because we're ready for it you know in the last 10 years there's been some incredible work that's come through some incredible artists telling New Zealand stories so I'm I'm excited that that could be a focus. I don't think that's it. We've, we'll be delivering a really strong festival. Um, we've also, over the last three or four years, been working with a lot of Australian comedians, and the talent there has been really great and really changing. I know a lot of you are seeing the Hannah Gadsby, and there's a new um, there's a new show coming up, Douglas, which we're lucky to see at the Civic. Uh, um, in February, was it February? Yeah, February. Uh, that's coming out at the end of May, I think the 28th. So um, that's exciting. So Australians, um, hopefully, and and we'll just we'll sort of see. But we'll be doing the the multiple plans, multiple budgets, drop dead dates, um, and then we've got the gala. Hopefully, fingers crossed, at the end of the year, which I'm really excited. I really would love to deliver some stuff this year, and we're looking at what other shows that we can deliver, um, whether it's lineup shows, we want to get comedians working again, obviously, like a lot of people, um, shows and all, all the work kind of dried up overnight. Um, we've been really lucky with a lot of the comedians who are quite set up with TV, um, that comedy really speaks to uh, what's going on around them. It's very quick to turn around content. 
Um, I don't know if you've got, been following Tom Sainsbury and Chris Parker and Brindley Stent and Kura Forrester, but some of their content has been getting me through lockdown. Um, and actually Kura um, and Rachel House and Sam Neill um, did a video that I saw last night, which is great if you can track it down. Um, so there's been lots of kind of amazing content coming out and um, it'll be looking at more sort of ways um, as we sort of understand what the future is, that we can look at that, whether there's shows that we can film and put out there and monetize for those artists. But I think initially it's sort of looking at how we get back into theatres and venue spaces and support them. Um, it's really, really important to us. Um, and there's like, there's some really great fundraising campaigns going on at the moment. I know for um, for Q Theatre, for The Classic, for Sam Fran and um, things like that. So um, it's pretty cool. I think that's mainly it from me. Um, uh, I'd send you my love and, um, and well wishes. And if anyone ever needs an ear or a or a hug when we can, I'm, I'm here for you. So I'm um, pleased to get in touch. Kia thank you, Lauren. Just want to acknowledge you for again for the devastating effect of not being able to celebrate your festival after a whole year of planning, just like Anne. I know from working at the Auckland Arts Festival, we were only one weekend when everything got cancelled and it is a very strange feeling when you when every year you build yourself up to that adrenaline of the moment where you've got the audiences in and your artists are here and it's quite a powerful experience when the rest of your year is kind of spreadsheets and budgets and planning and, and you know and it's a long lead time so even now looking ahead for you both to next year and next may it, as you keep pushing out the time frame you know like uh, option a option b c d getting closer and closer it's actually a huge amount of work so i just want to acknowledge you guys for that we've also had a message come through Lauren, just to acknowledge you for your comments on supporting artists in the comedy sector who may not be very business orientated. Just wonderful and thank you for your efforts there. Thank you also for sharing the Music Helps online counselling service and wellbeing service. Yes, please do continue to share that 0508 Music Helps with all of your networks. It is available 24-7 and I think many of us um, please do share it with people that you know. Uh, it has been a very interesting time. I wanted to touch on what you said, Lauren, about leadership in the arts. And for many of us who who are leaders in the arts but have been at home and with yourself and in a different environment, as you say, you may not every day wake up and feel 100 million percent and and be ready to go out and lead, especially when the interaction is, is via your computer screen. And so it's kind of a weird thing to not be able to have that... Um, camaraderie that you get in the office environment with your peers or with other people that you're meeting to talk about things so I think it's a very valid and important thing that we should keep thinking about is how are we supporting the health and well-being of our leaders in the arts as well who are generously thinking all the time about how they can best serve their communities and sometimes perhaps perhaps not but may forget to kind of look after themselves as well so I want to thank you Lauren for bringing that up. I did want to move on now. We haven't had any questions come through um, from our viewers yet, but I wanted to talk a little bit more about touring and the idea of either bringing international performers here through a, through a kind of trans-Tasman bubble, if that was available. But also I might come to you first, Lester, to talk about what you're thinking about in terms of when the um, Royal New Zealand Ballet potentially do your tour. And as you're saying, you might be the first ones out there to be touring. What kinds of things are you practically looking at in terms of the touring 
environment for the company. At the, uh, from a from a venue audience point of view, uh, the way that we're approaching it is, I mean, the, the reason why we, if you're looking at our first potential tour in September, October, for us to be back at level one by the start of July means that we've got enough time to actually get out there, market, promote it, make show, deliver it. So there's a very practical basis of you needing to be so many weeks in advance of what a potential first performance looks like. Uh, so there, there's a physical reality around that. We were fortunate with that tour, that with two of the choreographers, we did quite a lot of work on their pieces. They were from, one was from America, one was from Australia. Uh, two fabulous choreographers that we were able to work on these right at the start of the year. So it's in a relatively strong position uh, to be able to then move it forward. We will say, I think, I think it's unlikely that the choreographers will be able to come back to finish the work. So um, that will be led by the stages, but it will also, we'll be having, a, we'll have the, the camera will be the choreographer in the room. And so we will be having daily interactions with those choreographers to make that through. In terms of the audiences, uh, for us, it's about get local. So we will work with the venues, the local communities, and look at how we make it very specific uh, to, to think about the, the six, six, um, six cities we're touring to, how we will make that work. We're also thinking around the communications around that, around what does it look like to come back into the theatre. Um, and that is that, again, will inform part of the campaign and the communication. So the, the short answer is that you need to look at, the way we're approaching it is that we're looking at every single thing through this new lens because what happened previously or what our assumptions were previously need to be tested and in most times it's changed. So even in terms of content, uh, communications, audience experiences, the making of the work, relevance and how we connect it, it's very, very specific. So that's the way that we approach it. Now if that all falls over uh, and, uh, you know, whether a particular region might be closed or a region might go up to level three or, you know, if we're not back in level one, then we will go, okay, then the next, so then two of those from that will be potentially carried forward to next year. So we don't necessarily lose 100% of what we've made and invested in, but then we'll say, okay, then let's do our introduction and what would that look like? But again, we need to work through issues of borders being closed for some of the artists that are coming in offshore. Yeah, thank you, Lester. That's fascinating. Is it kind of answering your question? Yeah, no, it's really good. I like what you say about looking at every single thing through the new lens. So in terms of even what you're saying about new ways of being able to work mm. with international choreographers, that means they don't have to come here, but there's someone in a studio who's perhaps filming the work and that um, rehearsal direction can happen via online. In terms of, I'm really interested to know, in terms of the health and safety side of things, are you just dealing with the Ministry of Health guidelines in terms of how you're thinking about, or do you have a particular advisor who's advising you on, on health priorities, just particularly around the COVID-19? You know, we know two metres. Sure. What does that mean? Does that mean people have to sit, you can only sell seats three seats apart? Or, you know, it's all kind of really interesting. Yeah, well, level, 
for us, um, level one, what they're currently saying about level one is that there are no restrictions. So, so, and we've made that decision saying, well, we can't really tour because of the size of the venues we use until we are back down to level one. And also, particularly a lot of the older theatres just wouldn't have the foyer space to accommodate with, you know, with if you're trying to do social distancing in those spaces. And I think that's what makes it a particularly long wait for, for, and why it's particularly hard with some of those venues if they can't really operate until you are back to level one. In terms of what happens in the studio, when we were in level three, um, we had we looked very closely at the work safe guidelines, what the government was saying, uh, and the guidelines, and we thought, well, actually, we need to make up these rules, our protocols for ourselves. Nobody's going to know as much about what we do as ourselves. So we came up uh, when we were, we split the company into two, two two groups would never meet. We had a two metre square grid throughout the entire room, never more than one person in that grid. There was no partnering work. The bars were all cleaned every, um, every between each group coming in. We did a full viral clean before each group coming in. Um, there were restrictions around changing rooms. One of the things for us, which is important about keeping the, the dancers, uh, because if, if one or two of the dancers go out, effectively the whole company goes down. So we were thinking about how do we protect that so nobody else was allowed into the studios or in the building except those dancers. Um, we we're very clear that nobody could take public transport during that process. We thought, okay, what is the process we can make that will work with us that gives a high level of comfort? The other thing that we did... Um, in that process as we consulted with the union and the dancers were very involved in it themselves. They were very keen to get back into the studio. Um, uh, so we, we had a full wraparound process to, to develop that. And finally, it was voluntary. You know, if, if people didn't want to do it, they didn't have to. It was, you know, we were in level four, what else are they going to do? So, so we had a couple of dancers that chose not to. Um, and those ones, uh, you know, they the the two that, that decided not to were, you know, they were dealing with family uh, situations in other countries where people are very badly hurt and they were, you know, they just didn't feel comfortable about coming back home. Um, so, you know, it's very, it's a, in terms of maintaining your physical well-being, that's one, but you've really got to think about what is the, all the other aspects of, of people coming back into that work situation. We're very clear that we wouldn't do any partnering or pairing, pair work or anything like that. That's now all happening as we go into level three. As well, sorry, we're in level two. Yeah, thank you, Lisa. All those practical suggestions and ways of working, I know, will be very useful for other people to consider. And I think what you say there about the last one, the power of choice, that people um, are able to choose whether or not they feel comfortable to step back out into the space, which hopefully what we're seeing throughout this time of level two is there seems to be quite a lot of confidence out there, certainly for people who want to go shopping anyway or need to get a coffee. Um, well, I mean, I'd be very happy to, if anyone wants the guidelines that we've done, if that's helpful, I'd obviously be very happy to share them. Thank you, Lester. I think that would be fantastic. I'd like to talk a little bit about the Trans-Tasman bubble, and I might come to you first, Anne, just in terms of the way that you're working already with um, the other Australian writers, festivals, or is there even an opportunity to bring people from further afield who might self-quarantine in Australia before doing the rounds? What are your thoughts um, on that, Anne? Yeah, well, we've, all, we've always had an Australian contingent at the festival. Sometimes it goes up 
you know, sometimes it's more, sometimes it's less. So certainly the writers out of that market are part of the festival. In fact, this year we would have had Tim Flannery, we would have had Leanne Moriarty, uh, Tara June Winch. We had this kind of wonderful selection of Australians. So I think there is an opportunity, and I think there's some great work in Australia. Um, and I think that the big issue for us, even about putting internationals in at all, I really agree with Lauren. I mean, it's fantastic New Zealand work that stands on its own, but you lose two things by losing that international component, you lose uh, some money and you lose some PR value because actually New Zealand media is not uh, as supportive or as interested in your locals as they are as in, in your internationals. Um, I think that, yes, I mean, obviously there is a possibility for people to come in. We have a partnership with Sydney Writers Festival and we've also, we quite often uh, will share writers we've secured with uh, Melbourne and Brisbane and Adelaide to, to cut costs, to share costs. So there is an opportunity, but it is a long time to be away. Uh, and also quarantine is going to be expensive. So if you've got to accommodate someone for two weeks, I mean, I guess maybe someone is desperate for the big holiday, but you've got to accommodate for two weeks and then you've got to get them into Australia and then across New Zealand and potentially when they go home, they also need to be quarantined. Even though writing is a solitary activity, um, we find that most writers want to be away for no more than about 18 to 21 days. So we do quite a lot of sharing now where people take a holiday between Sydney and Auckland, um, but usually about 20 days is the, is the maximum, and after that they want to get back to their desks. So they love writers love coming to writers' festivals uh, to see. The, the thing that incentivizes them more than anything really is to be with their peers, is to spend time with each other, but they also miss getting on with their work, which they can't do in a social setting. So I think, I mean, I think the trans-Tasman bubble provides us an opportunity to just really um, build the platform for what for exposing New Zealand writing to the world by putting in and also bringing New Zealand writers into contact with their peers. Um, I'm hopeful that by then that quarantine won't be around for Trans-Tasman. I mean, that's what, I, that's what I'd like to see. That will make 2021 viable, I think, for us. But Lauren, I mean, she's, you're in an equivalent position, really, in terms of that Tasman cross, aren't you? Yeah, we've um, we've been working with some really great Australian comedians that are coming through. There's a real, I think there was quite a traditional stand-up contingent in Australia that's really kind of modernised and um, doing some fantastic content. Um, and we've been doing quite a lot of work with Australia about getting New Zealand artists over there, um, going through Melbourne, Sydney, Perth, Brisbane, but also on things like Have You Been Paying Attention and shows like that. So there's a really great opportunity for touring between Australia and New Zealand. Um, Australians come to us and New Zealanders go to them. Um, someone like Ursula Carlson is making a great um, career out of working in New Zealand and Australia. Um, she's basically doing six months worth of work in Australia. So she's over there for part of that, but it's really easy to travel back and forth. Um, and I think long-term, that's a really great touring market, particularly if you are not able to sort of pick up your bags and, and move to Edinburgh, you know, like go to Edinburgh in the UK for long periods of time if you've got a family and all those sorts of things. Um, so we've been working with sort of developing a lot of Australian talent to the New Zealand market. One of the things we've found um, with with Australian talent is sometimes they're not local enough that people are like, oh, I've got to support locals, but they're not international enough that people are like, let's go to an Australian. They want to go to the youth, the, the Brits, the, you know, the Irish and, and the Scots and stuff. So um, that's, that's been a bit of a journey, but really that's developed a lot over the last sort of three years. And there's some 
um, passionate fans of people like Reese Nicholson, who is a wonderful human being and performer. If you haven't seen him, I highly recommend his work. We were really looking forward to having Felicity Ward host the gala this year, earlier in the year. Um, and so uh, she's wonderful as well. So I think there's lots of opportunities. I've also been thinking that um, because a lot of them do, the, the British do the touring circuit of Adelaide, Melbourne, uh, us, Sydney, sometimes Perth, Brisbane, um, that it may be worth it for um, those comedians to come and do that. It's a certain sort of group of comedians that like to sort of tour festivals. So it's not for everyone, but there's definitely comedians that, that are into that. So um, hopefully that's an opportunity as well um, to get some some more people. And, you know, if, the, if it, if it um, widens to Asia, there's perhaps some opportunities to do some really great Asian um, work and then sort of expand what we can do and who we can bring. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be really interesting to see how it all um, shakes out. But I think we've got to, we've got to put together, it's, I guess the challenge is, is how do you, um, you know, if, if you can't do two festivals in a row, was the financial sort of impact of that um, one festival sort of one thing that you can kind of cushion and, and get around. Um, but the, you know, not doing two festivals to the same extent is, is really challenging um, from all sorts of different, for all sorts of different reasons. And I guess one of the challenges that we probably haven't talked about is around sponsorship and funding. And we've had wonderful support from our sponsors and funders, and we've been sort of unpicking what we can still deliver and how we can do that. But the challenge moving into 2021 and then beyond that is what funding is going to be available um, and if we're all needing it. And also the same thing with sponsorship. Um, luckily, lots of people have been eating Best Foods Mayo in, uh, in quarantine. So hopefully they'll be in good form for next year. Can I just add something to that? I think you're right there, Lauren, about that Australian cross too. Last year we hosted um, a meeting of uh, about 22 festival directors uh, from Australia and New Zealand and a couple from Asia. And um, and I'm really interested in finding that way to get that. To, that ended up uh, pushing a whole lot of New Zealanders into that Australian market, obviously through the TMKT program. And I think that there is an opportunity to perhaps even build exchange, you know, to get our writers out there. So that's an opportunity that has been there at a low level, but I think we'll pick up if we're forced to think more local, both us and Australia, about what we can do. So I think that's, that's exciting, actually. It is. It's really great. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I think the opportunity to champion our local artists and to think in a really locally focused way, because as you say, Lauren, like perhaps sometimes people are choosing to go to the international content because, oh, well, we can see this New Zealand artist, whenever. But in fact, like you've already pointed out, we have fantastic, amazing New Zealand artists creating work. And, you know, if there's less competition, potentially, in the market in terms of what's in the program that we're really going to be continue to keep growing and building the audience for our local artists work and as you say Anne also finding more opportunities to get them out into the world as well. Mm. I wanted to come back to what you said about sponsorship Lauren because one thing which which we know I know has been in conversation out there is just around the um, flow on effect of in terms of sponsorship, lack of trust funding around how we're going to continue to Lack of box office revenue, obviously, for both of you. All, and all the money. Zero. <laughs> so how, you know, what are, what are some of your solutions? Have any of you, maybe I'll start with you, Lester, or thoughts of solutions that you've got around this pickle, the money pickle? 
I think the money pickle is a real challenge. Uh, we can, you know, there is a risk around box office whether our audience want to come back or not. And, you know, that is that is an area of uncertainty. Um, but a lot of organisations don't rely just solely on box office. I think it's realistic to say in terms of sponsorship that if a sponsor is being laying off staff this year, as a result of this, they're unlikely to sponsor next year. I think that's just the cold, hard reality of it. Uh, so I think that is concerning. The, but I'm also very aware that uh, if any organisations rely on gaming trusts, all of those, well, that, that source of funding is completely dried up. Um, trusts and foundations that people might rely on, uh, that is, uh, you know, whilst it is a different situation with gaming trusts, you know, if you are in a recessionary environment, that will impact on revenue that trusts and foundations might earn and therefore have available to distribute. I think we're sort of looking at it saying, okay, it's less about being in a COVID environment, but actually saying, how do we operate in a recession? Mm -hmm. uh, traditionally, you know, there have been instances in the past where actually locally things have done very well if you are in a recession. People saying, okay, we're staying home. What are we going to do? We're going to spend locally. And uh, if it is the right event and it is thought about in that kind of way, can do very well. I'm hoping that the government's recovery package will, uh, um, that has been talked about, um, will address this issue of liquidity. So I do think that that is the area where, you know, we can all control our costs, but this area of liquidity in terms of revenue is where I think we're exposed. So the first part of the CNZ package, if you were funded by them, is about survival and how do we deal with that. The next part of it, I would hope, is actually looking at what is, how do we manage a shortage of liquidity over the next nine, nine months? and then go into a how do we then adapt and revitalise kind of phase. But the, I think that certainly the, the the issue of liquidity has been talked about um, and I think there's, you know, strong signalling has been going forward that this is, a, this is an area of concern. The venues and other ones, their liquidity issue is around that they just don't have people coming and hiring their halls, um, hiring the theatres. But for makers and producers, it's really around these other areas. Yeah, thank you, Lester. And as we know, we're expecting a budget announcement about the arts any day now. And in fact, on last week, I think it was Friday, there was the announcement about $20 million for Māori arts and $12 million for Pacifica arts, which was fantastic news. And so we're looking forward to hearing what else there is in store for the arts through the arts budget. Another point to make, which I'm, I'm not sure if everybody out there who's listening knows that Creative New Zealand's first phase of funding for independent artists, they've brought their deadline forward. So the applications now close at the end of May instead of mid-June. So if you have an application sitting out there, please finish it off. Creative New Zealand really want to hear from it. Um, but they, of course, are moving to start thinking about their phase two funding earlier than they expected, which is another optimistic sign. Um, Anne or Lauren, do either of you have anything to add around the money pickle? <laughs> um, no, I mean, I think Lester summed it up pretty well. For, for us at the festival, there are a couple of challenges. One is that we have no 
we don't have any significant portion of funding from some of the core places. Like uh, we do have good funding, don't get me wrong, from Creative New Zealand and from Auckland City, but both of it sits under the 5% of our budget. So we are very much a, a huge myriad of, of bits of money put together. And the other thing with a festival, and certainly a festival like ours, is one of the biggest overheads is actually the team because it's very kind of labour intensive to build that together. So uh, I think all the challenges that Lester has identified are there for us. Um, we have, you know, reserves to get us through this year, to get us through the deficit that we face from the cancellation. Uh, next year at the moment, it's hard to see how that's not going to be a deficit budget. I just, uh, the box office revenue is one third and two thirds of it is raised through sponsorship and grants and patronage. Um, and while, uh, and it, yeah, it's 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 a big it's a big amount of money to find in a market that's really constricted. So I don't have any magic answers. Obviously we'll reduce costs as much as we can. We'll have to cut our cloth, but it is it is a really big challenge for us. Thank you. Yeah, just to add to that, I think that that I think what this has really stressed is the importance of if you can have multiple funding streams, that is an as an advantage. What we've seen with this is that with the exception of patronage, uh, which is I'm hearing is people are hanging in there with that, in fact, very, in fact, leaning in. Mm. With the exception of that, what we've seen with this is the hit across all of the other areas. Normally, you wouldn't necessarily get a hit across all of them. That's mm. mm. right. It's 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 multi layered. Yeah. And how about the comedy festival? How are you tracking or feeling about? Yeah, well, we're sort of I mean very similar to Anne in that we uh, sort of don't have major chunks of funding but we've got we're sort of diverse and I think um I mean I would like some more major funding it would be fantastic um, also, um but um but I think it is having a, a range of revenue streams and working out ways that you can be clever and agile and working with those relationships so we've been really lucky with the relationships with our sponsors for example and um We've managed to hold on to a significant part of that money when probably without being able to deliver the festival, you would have to kind of give a lot of it back. Um, and so what we're trying to do is really work out, be you know, be proactive and, and offer value in different ways. So what can you, you know, what is it that you're doing at the moment that you can tie a sponsor into and give them value? What do they need? What were they trying to get out of the festival or your show or whatever? And really work out, how you can deliver to that because if it's about you know people loving a brand and feeling a love of local um, and all of those things you might be able to deliver a lot more than you think you can even though you're not physically um, putting on the shows in the same way so we've done stuff for best foods around making content with comedians uh, putting out their recipes within our EDM because there was a massive um, upswing in baking so you can make a lot of things including cake with best foods so you know, with things like that and being creative, um, you can you can actually deliver on on quite a lot of value. And so, looking at ways later on, if we do the gala, how can we give out best foods, or how can we do this, or how can we deliver to that? So, um, it's really thinking about how you can kind of um, give back as much as take. And I think um, with all of these relationships um, that when you're provided with money, you know, remember it's not just money that's just been given to you and just, to, you know, you really do need to think about, you know, why it's been given to you, how you can deliver on on the things that, that needs to happen with that money 
And um, there are always ways in where in the arts we're used to being creative. <laughs> we're used to being nimble. We're used to um, scrapping for small bits of money and, and, and working really hard and, and coming up with creative ways and negotiating and working together and collaborating. So we are totally experienced enough to do this. We can do it. It's just, um, you know, uh, I guess keeping the morale up whilst we're having these quite tough financial times is going to be challenging and I think we have to support each other to do that and um, and remember that, you know, we'll get through it and we will and, and it'll be fine and it might be a little bit tough and some of us I think have, you know, we got to a really great place with the trust and with building on our reserves and I was really super stoked with how well we were sort of doing and so this is a really tough step back um, that we can't control and it was no one's fault. Um, so it's just... We have to kind of keep going and pushing through. Yeah. Thanks, Lauren. Well, it's a testament to, you know, aren't New Zealanders such a great bunch? It's a testament to your strong relationships with your sponsors that that they're willing to come on the journey with you at this time when, when potentially all of their businesses are taking a hit as well. Um, I'd like to just come to each of you now for a closing thought, perhaps maybe what's one of the, the biggest or thing that you're taking away or that you've learnt from this time of COVID-19 and the lockdown as we're now coming out of lockdown. So I'll start with you, Lester. Oh, gosh, that's a tough question. Uh, the thing that I have learned is that I'm actually comfortable to live with uncertainty. That, uh, that and, and actually the thing that, that actually artists live with uncertainty in terms of the making and the creative process. But if we can, if I can reflect that in terms of how the company is managed and how we operate, then then if the teams think like an artist in that sense and say, okay, we can live with uncertainty and, in fact, we can embrace uncertainty and adapt and be flexible and be nimble and look at things through different perspectives, that will stand up in very good stead. So the power of the artistic, the creative thinking, I think is, uh, has, has been... I always knew that it was uh, that it was hugely significant and powerful, but this has just reinforced it for me. Thank you, Anne. Yeah, I do find that a really difficult question. I think I'll dovetail off Lester a little bit. I mean, I think that um, it's in my nature to do things quite fast and to respond quite quickly. That's sort of the way I operate. But here you have to actually, you just, yeah, you have to live with that uncertainty and you have to just take the time to find the coherence, the, the thing with integrity that makes sense out of the situation you find yourself in. And so to actually just, yeah, to let it be for a while, which I don't always manage, but is my ever goal is to, um, is the thing that will help us find the best answer to the next challenge that that appears rather than just an answer that we can operate on. So, yeah, so sitting still for a minute is not such a terrible thing. I think the other thing I want to say is that what I've, one of the things that's been wonderful for me about this is, is how much it's connected me with colleagues. Actually, there are so many different groups and groups of people that I meet with you know, regularly that we're all kind of talking about stuff together in a way, as Lauren said earlier, doesn't always happen, hasn't always happened. I've been doing this job for nine years and, um, and that has been a really kind of special and rich outcome, actually, to feel more connected into the bigger ecosystem. So that's been great. Wonderful. Thank you, Anne. Lauren? 
Oh, very wise words from Anne Anister. Um, I think really giving yourself some space, there's a lot going on and it's happening to everybody. It's happening to every industry and we um, sometimes if we sit and we ruminate on something, the ideas will come and and sometimes, as Anne was saying, you know, that, that um, our need to feel like we've got to solve it and we've got to solve it right now and it's got to be done um, and we've got to have all the answers, sometimes doesn't help. You sometimes have to sit back and watch and wait and see where we get to. You know, there would be decisions that, you know, we were trying to make when we were going into lockdown that now that we know we're here, we can start making some decisions. But we really couldn't make those two months ago. And I think not punishing ourselves for that, we all work really hard and we're all trying to achieve all things all the time. And, and sometimes we feel like if we don't get everything done in, in the way that we would normally would, um, we, we're not, we're failing. And, and I think that, we just need to give ourselves a bit of space. I think, um, I feel like the communications around COVID from the government have been really interesting, not to get political, but um, I think what the, the transparency overall and the um, coming up with the, this is our plan, this is what's going to happen at this level, yeah, this is going to happen and this is going to be announced at this date and every day at one o'clock you're going to watch Ashley Bloomfield and feel a little bit safer. Um, he's amazing. Um but, but the clarity and authenticity of that communication and the transparency, I feel, um, you know, in, in, in giving us a clear path of what's coming and we're all in this together. We'll know that when we know the information, let's base it on science, not uh, bleach. Um, and and, and okay. those things are really critical, you know, because for me, that gave me a lot of security. If I went, okay, one o'clock, I'll go and listen to the update, I'll see what's happening and then I'll get back to it. And that you know that that repetition and that understanding and the calmness of Ashley Bloomfield and Jacinda like, calmness oh my god um, you know that's pretty impressive I mean they haven't had any sleep you know they've been going they've been working every day how the hell are they that calm but you know they have been and I think that's given us calm and and so I guess you know, as, as this was saying, you know, provide your team and your people and your stakeholders and your whanau with confidence and support and, and you don't know all the answers, but we'll together we'll work it out and um, they can come to you and talk it through and, and have people you can talk to as well because I think it's so critical, you know, inside work. But, you know, my mum gets a lot of gets a lot of conversation from me and she always um, has such wise ideas and, and just lets me talk it out. Obviously, I'm quite verbal. So, um, <laughs> you know, just to let me kind of talk it through. But, um, yeah, I think people and relationships and caring for each other because we'll, we'll all work together and we'll come up with some great solutions and we're Kiwis. We're smart. We can do it. Yoda, thank you, Lauren. And a huge thank you to everyone out there who's been watching our panel today or who may watch it at a later time. I want to give a big mihi and a great big thank you to our panellists this morning, Lester McGrath, Anne O'Brien and Lauren Whitney. What a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for your time. The message is clear. What I'm taking away is in uncertain times, think like an artist. And thank you very much to everyone behind the scenes from PANS and Auckland Live, Louise, Heather and Helena and Francis, who have been helping us to bring this broadcast to you this morning. Our PANS and Online Hui will be continuing next week with our another session on Monday the 25th of May at 11am. Quick thank you to The Big Idea, our media partner. Thank you for your support as well to, um, for these online Hui sessions. So to close, I'll close off our session today with a karakia. Me karakia tato.
kia hora te marino, kia whakapapa paunamu te moana, kia tere te kairohirohi i mua i tō huarahi. Thank you very much for joining us today. Tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou katoa. You have been listening to the PANS Online Hui series in partnership with Auckland Live and supported by Creative New Zealand and The Big Idea. For more information, please visit pans.org.nz.